This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley and is part three of Revealing the Heart of God, A Journey Through the Minor Prophets. I'd like to tell you a story, and the story is actually a picture. So I'd like you to turn in your bulletin to page 11, because there's a story behind this picture on page 11. So the woman on the far right is a woman named Mama Kawashi, uh, Mama Gloria Kawashi, and she is married to the man right next to her, whose name is Benjamin Kawashi. He's an Anglican archbishop in the Diocese of Jos, Nigeria. The woman on the far left, the young woman, that is their daughter. That's their biological daughter. The Kawashis have also adopted 60 children. Yes, six zero children. Not six, not 16, but 60 children. So, and then the, the young woman kind of in the middle with the striped shirt, her name is Mary. So I want to tell you a story about Mary. Mary lived in this little village in northeastern Nigeria. Um, where the women were not treated very well, to put it mildly. She was assaulted by a relative, and she became pregnant. But rather than the assaulter, the perpetrator, getting in trouble, she got in trouble. She was basically cast out of the village. She was shunned. She was blamed. And she was at in a desperate state. Enter Mama Kawashi. You don't want to mess with Mama Kawashi because she's a lioness. Seriously. She will take you on and take you down. And she did. She went into the village. She took on the whole village. She met with the leaders. She met with the men. She threatened. She um, denounced. She investigated. She found out who the perpetrator was. And she exposed him. And she got him to confess that he was the one that had actually done this. But she did more. She took Mary and she took her unborn, Mary's unborn child. She took them into her home to live with them, to take care of her, to provide medical care. The uh, baby that's born there that is being held by Archbishop Benjamin Kawashi is baby Caroline. That's the beautiful gift that came out of this. But then she did even more. After the birth, she went back to the village. She took on the, tr- the leaders again and she forced them, basically, although they were willing by the time Mama Kawashi had done with them, to change their laws. So this would never happen again. Archbishop Kawashi told me, he sent me a text, he said, we wanted our home to be a place where the poor get justice. We're going to look at a book of the Bible called the book of Amos. It's in the Old Testament. It's near the end of your Old Testament. And it is the third book in a series of 12 books called The Minor Prophets. So Amos is number three. And Amos is hard to read. It's an intense book. I don't know if you just heard the little reading that uh, Margaret did from Amos 6. It's a hard book. And, And it comes across harsh and blistering, actually. Uh, One of my friends, Bethany, said that her husband was reading the book of Amos this week in preparation to prepare for worship, reading it to their newborn daughter. And she said, you can't read that to her. Well, she kind of has a point. It is rated at least PG-13, if it was turned into a movie, which it's not. This is a hard book. But as we walk through this book, I want you to remember this picture. 
I want you to keep this in mind. Because what God wants to do, God's goal, I believe, God's heartbeat through this hard book of, of, of Amos, which was written which was written about 2,700 years ago. It still has so much relevance for our lives today. What God wants to do is God wants to raise up more people that have a Mama Kawashi-like heart. God wants to raise up, God wants to write more stories of like baby Caroline. God wants to do that in you. God wants to do that in me. God wants to do that in our church and in our community. So let's take a look at the book of Amos. Now, we have one sermon on the whole book today. It's nine chapters long. If you're following along in one of the Bibles we have at the church here, it begins on page 764, so you can turn there. So Amos, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Amos says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. He's like a lion roaring. So this is going to be intense. First thing I want us to know about Amos, he was a real person. He was a real historical person, and what he's describing are not fictional events. These things really happen. This is rooted in history. Some people underestimate it, how actually historical the Bible is. So it says in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, it begins, the words of Amos, was well, really the Lord speaking through Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. What's going on? Well, I just want you to know, you can, all the work that I'm doing in this sermon, you can, you can do this by yourself. You don't need to be a pastor to do this. You don't need to be a scholar to do this. You just need to actually read the Bible and then consult a good Bible commentary, and you can figure out a lot of the stuff that I'm going to tell you today. So there's no secret club here. So Amos was, here's what was happening. So the nation of Israel was actually divided into two sections. They'd kind of split. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was in a time of unprecedented prosperity. The economy was booming. The military had some minor victories that they were really proud of. People were living a very lavish lifestyle, and the rich were benefiting from this. The only problem was, was that the poor, the marginalized, were not only being mistreated, were not only being ignored, but they were being exploited. They were being mistreated. God was not happy about that. And that's what we're going to hear a lot in the book of Amos. Now, I want you to know up front, although this is going to be, it's, it's going to be some hard things to hear, this is ultimately a book of hope. Every section of the Bible is about, ultimately, about hope. It's going to take a hard road to get there, but we're going to end at a place of hope. So hold on to that. Amos was from the southern kingdom. Just get the history down, it'll make sense. He was from the southern kingdom. He was from a little town called Tekoa. It's a know-nothing, it's basically a hick town. And he comes from this hick town, and he's a fig farmer. He tells us in chapter 7, of Amos, that he's a fig farmer. So he comes from the southern kingdom. He goes up to the wealthy people in a city in the northern kingdom, and that's where he brings this blistering prophecy of impending doom and judgment against the elite wealthy people of the northern kingdom. So we've got to get the irony here. 
It would be like somebody, let's say a soybean farmer from the Appalachian area, uh, let's call him Clem. He puts on his, he gets a word from the Lord. He puts on his faded bib overalls, stained with grease. His hands are got dirt on him from working in the farm. And he has a word from the Lord. So he goes to our nation's capital, or he goes to the United Nations in New York City, or maybe he comes to Wheaton, and he brings this message of judgment. This is exactly the kind of pe- person that the elite people of our society, and, and maybe us as well sometimes, despise and mock. These are not the intellectuals. These are not the elite. These are not sophisticated. These are not the educated. Pay very careful attention to this as you read the Bible, because this is a theme that happens over and over and over again all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God uses the foolish things to shame the wise. God uses the powerless to shame the powerful. It's a theme that occurs all throughout the Bible. So Amos comes, and he begins this prophetic word. Chapter 1, verse 3. Let me read the first words, because this will give you a a sense of the tone of this book. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead, with threshing sledges of iron. What's going on? Well, he does this six times. Same pattern. That's like a formula. For three transgressions of blank, name of a nation, a country, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have blank. So all of those nations, those six nations, are foreign nations around Israel. So that would be Russia, they're doing bad things. China, they're doing bad things. North Korea, they're doing bad things. And every time, it's some kind of human rights abuse, something bad being done to innocent people. He does it six times, that same pattern, six different countries. Then the seventh time, Amos does it for Judah, which is his country, his hometown. So you could imagine the people of the northern kingdom going, yeah, go, Amos, get them, nail them. These are bad people. Actually, what he's doing is something really brilliant. He's kind of like making a dartboard. He's making a dartboard because all of these countries are all around Israel, and then, boom, in the bullseye is Israel. And then he throws his dart. And his dart is an indictment against the nation of Israel for their failure to love God and to love people. Let me give you a little taste of that. So, it, so he does this seven times, seven nations, and then he comes to Israel and he says, for three, trans, or for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for the pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth, and turn aside the way of the afflicted. They did not have a mama kawashi heart. Actually, they had the very opposite of that. They were indifferent. They were arrogant. They were abusive. They despised the poor. They mocked the poor. They ignored the poor and the marginalized. And this was especially upsetting to the living God because look at chapter 3, verse 1 where God says, hear this, 
O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you when you were slaves. How can you treat the poor, mistreat them, when I saved and delivered you? See, the pattern throughout the Bible is God acts in mercy when we don't deserve it and delivers us. And then we respond in worship and we respond in compassion and kindness and justice. But the people of Israel only wanted this. I'll take that, God. Thank you. Thank you for our economic success. Thank you for our military successes. Thank you that things are so, going so good for us. Let's just ignore the rest of this, this pattern that you did here. And God was very upset about that. Through Amos, he says, I hate this. I hate it. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. This is where it gets really politically incorrect. Hear this. He's talking about the wealthy people of the nation of Israel. Remember, from the south going to the north, this hick farmer. Hear this, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Now here he's going after the wealthy women, the elite women, but he actually goes after everybody. He's not a misogynist. He's not just picking on women. In chapter 6, verse 1, woe to all of those who are at ease in Zion. Chapter 6, verse 4, who lie on beds of ivory and drink wine in bowls, but have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. You enjoy your privileges, but you don't care about the poor, is what he says. And that has brought them under the judgment of God. Now, the thing you have to notice here is that God's judgment has been enormously patient. God's not flying off the handle here. He's giving them plenty of opportunities to repent. That's why we have, find those shocking words that, that Margaret read in chapter 5, verse 21. I hate it's a very emotional word. God is speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Verse 22, even though you bring, you, even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. You can worship all you want, he says, but if you don't care about this, it's worthless to me. I don't want that. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. It's perhaps what the Apostle Paul was quoting in 1 Corinthians 13 when he said, if we don't have love, I've just become a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And then verse 24 is actually a, a verse that became very famous around the world in 1963, verse 24 says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It was famous in a speech in the United States Capitol, an African-American man, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when he stood on the steps of our Capitol and he gave his I Have a Dream speech, he quoted Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Let me read you a little snippet of that quote, and I'm using Dr. King's language. 
He said, we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now you get the context for where Dr. King got that quote from. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. I like that speech so much because it reflects the heart that we're to have as followers of Jesus. It's a, somebody has called it, I, I didn't make this up, but I like the phrase, holy discontentment. A holy discontentment. A holy dissatisfaction. You know, there's a dissatisfaction that's unholy. There's a discontentment that's unholy, but then there's one that's holy. This is a holy discontentment. Amos had it because God had it. Mama Kwashi had it. Dr. King had it. When you're connected to the God of the Bible, when you're connected to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you're connected to a healthy church, you, God wants to impart to you the gift of this holy discontentment, this Mama Kawashi-like heart. Because when you have that heart, you're open. You're wide open to how God may want to use you in your life, through your personality, through your limitations, through your workplace, through your desires, through your dreams, the Lord is going to lead you and he's going to bring you into situations where you can write a new story of something like Mama Kwashi did. See, when your heart is open, you will, and when you have that heart, you will be ready. I was talking to somebody after the first service, and she was planning on going overseas to work with some uh, people who are poor and who have never heard the gospel before, which, by the way, is an extreme form of poverty as well, people that have never heard of Christ. And so she was going to go there, and, but she felt like maybe the Lord wasn't leading her here, and she decided to stay here, and we'd been, I've been talking to her through this process. She said, you know, this last week I met four people from this country where I was going to go. The Lord just brought me to them. That's what happens when we have an open heart. We're ready to do our part. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. When you hunger and thirst, you will be satisfied. How, is, how can that be? Well, look at the end of the book of Amos. This is where the hope comes in. This is where it's like, you're watching a thunderstorm and it's just all dark and there's lightning and thunder and it's just pounding and the hail and then all of a sudden it stops and the sun starts to break through. This is Amos chapter 9, verse 11. That's where the sun starts to break through. This is the hope. The Lord says, in that day, and it's a day actually after judgment had come to Israel, Assyria the slumbering superpower 
had woken up, had risen, and had come into the northern kingdom and had taken people and made them exiles, conquered them. So the judgment that Amos was predicting, it actually came 40 years later. So God in his kindness was trying to wake people up and say, look, you got to wake up before this happens. You can't be asleep. You can't keep living this way. But then after that, there's always a word of hope. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild as in days of old. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman should overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. That's first one is an image of houses. So you go through like an inner city area or you go through a small town, rural town, and everything's fallen apart and all the buildings are dilapidated and somebody comes through and rehabs it all and makes it beautiful and paints it and fixes the windows and it's all repaired. It's rebuilt. The second image is an agricultural image. And people that are planting the crops, they're planting and the, the, the grapes are coming up so fast that the people behind them harvesting are like, blah, 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 blah because it's so rich, and the mountains will be filled with sweet wine, God says. And I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of that land that I have given them. You see the hope? The ultimate, God's word is always, even when it's hard, it's always a word of hope. I'll tell you a personal story so just recently, sometime after Easter, I don't know what happened, but I, I fell into a, a kind of a pit of despair, darkness. Probably, you probably experienced that sometimes. You just feel like, what difference does everything make? Maybe you get cynical. Maybe you get depressed. Maybe you just feel burnt out. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt that way. I felt that way. It was really deep. I was in the midst of it. And some point in there, you know how people say, well, God spoke to me. And I feel like God really spoke to me. And he said, you just came out of Easter. And all the, the, the stories in the, our, our daily readings were about the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus is always just popping up somewhere, and he's, oh, I'm, I'm over here, and now he's over there, and, and he's just giving people hope wherever he goes. And I heard the Lord say, I want to do that for you. And who are you to tell me that I can't do it for him, or for her, or for them over there? Jesus is always just appearing, and there's hope. That's what he wants to do in our hearts. Now, I'm not trying to make it simple because it was a struggle, and I, I really didn't know how I was going to get out of it. But ultimately, for a Christian, our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not in the Democrats, not in the Republicans, not in the United States government, not in the Supreme Court, not in world leaders. Our hope ultimately is in the resurrected and risen Jesus Christ. And for some of you, he wants to impart hope. Maybe some of you are involved in law or in law enforcement or, or public policy, and maybe some of you will go into that 
Maybe you're studying. Maybe you'll go into that. Maybe you're in psychology. Maybe you're a teacher. And the Lord will give you encouragement to make a difference directly with the oppressed, with the poor, with something that's broken in our system. He wants to impart that hope to you. Here's the, the hope of the resurrection also does this, and this is something that I love. Let's take someone who is an unjust person. Let's take this villager in Nigeria, this abuser in Nigeria. Let's take a corrupt landlord. Let's take a drug lord. Let's take a human trafficker. Let's take somebody you think of the worst person you can imagine. The hope of the resurrection means that that person is not beyond redemption. That that situation that seems so hopeless is not beyond hope. That that person that maybe you despise, that maybe is living in so much darkness, can become a new creation, can become, as Amos was talking about in chapter 9, a rebuilt house, a restored building. That is what the risen Christ wants to do. You know, as I was thinking about this sermon, there's, there's kind of two ways I could go with this, I thought, at the end. One was basically I could beat up on all of you and just say, you're not doing enough, you need to try harder, you need to care more. And I've, I've preached sermons like that. I've heard sermons like that. And, you know, maybe there's a time and a place for that. It's not always bad. Sometimes we need to hear the hard truth. But I felt like there's another way to go with this. And that is, I really want to encourage people who you feel a stirring. You feel a stirring. You, you, like, like God is stirring something within you or something. It's coming from somewhere. Maybe you don't know it's God. Maybe there's something stirring within you. Or maybe you're, you're in the thick of it. You're working with refugees. Or maybe you have a child that has some profound disabilities. Or, or maybe you're working with ex-offenders. Or maybe you're working with addicts. Or maybe you're working with, for racial reconciliation. Maybe you're working to bring the gospel to some unreached people group. You're, you're doing that already. And the thing that you need more than anything is you need encouragement. You need the prayers of the church. So if that describes you at all, I want to let you know that the church is behind you, and the church is behind you because the living God is behind you. And the living God is behind you because that is his heart. He wants to make us more like his son. So let me just invite you one more time. Take a look at this picture again. Take a look at this picture because I wanted to capture one person, a woman in Ni northeastern Nigeria, without an advanced degree, a very courageous woman, a very brave woman, a very bold woman, a woman filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, trusting in the resurrection. This one woman made a difference for this woman and this child. So my question is, for you to pray about and ponder. What is your part? What is the story that God wants to write through your life? Despite all your flaws, despite your limitations, despite our sinfulness, what is the story that the risen Christ wants to write through you? Amen. Thanks for listening. 
Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.